Welcome back to The Mix with Matt and Dan. I'm Dan, and over there, sitting in his high chair, his tall chair, Matt. How's it going, Matt? Good, Dan. How you doing today? Great. Um, the Mix is a shortening of the marketing mix. Uh, we are going to mix in lots of information today about marketing and our marketing uh, ideas, and we're also going to throw in some... It's a mix. You can do whatever you want, right, Matt? Anything you want. That's the magic of the mix. Anything that makes us happy. Anything that makes us happy, and hopefully we'll find some interest for the viewer and some entertainment value. We are uh, sponsored, as always, by 500 Rockets, which is the digital marketing uh, services and products company that drives this whole thing. That's right. But, you know, today we're sponsored by a subset of 500 Rockets, yeah. which is our brand new product that we're bringing to market called Spider Ads. Spider Ads. Today's episode is going to be about Spider Ads, what that is. And essentially what is interesting to me about this, and we'll get into today, is when you ideate a new product, like you come up with it in that sort of good ethereal energy and like, oh, this would be great, versus how do you bring that thing to life? Like the actual birthing of a product, the painful step-by-step birthing of a product. So we're going to talk about that a lot today. Um, We usually start out with some kind of uh, Matt rant. Matt, do you have any sort of rant from... The week. I'm kind of pissed off today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have problems. Uh, you know, I think where I'd like to start today is just kind of identifying the massive ass whooping that marketing is right now. Like, it's just an ass whooping. There's no easy part of marketing. And especially, we have the world's best clients, right? But dealing with client management, dealing with expectations, and then just doing what you said you could do is unbelievable. And it, like, it's unbelievably complicated. And I'm going to give you an example today of like this little problem that I'm having. And it's a simple problem. A customer hired us to do testing. And what I mean by testing is take an ad, put it out there, write the ad, get a click, put it on a landing page, see if you get a sale. If you get a sale, track the information around the ad. So you have to have this kind of continuous string of information going from AdWords, going into, sorry, Google Ads now, going to your landing page, going through your shopping cart, and then getting the analytic data inside Google Analytics. And I can guarantee you that like 98% of the people listening to this podcast think that their analytics are probably set up correctly, probably not. Probably not. Probably not. And even if they are set up correctly, you've probably done something or are going to do something in the next maybe six weeks that will break it because of the massive amount of stupid tools out there that jump into this signal and create... Everybody is trying to grab the signal. And so when you grab the signal, you're taking it from somewhere else. And so... Yeah, sometimes you can keep passing the signal like telephone, but we've all played that stupid game and we know it doesn't work. So like fundamentally building your tech stack with like a telephone methodology is just stupid. And there's massive, you know who's making like 99% of these tech decisions in companies? Who? The VP of marketing is making the tech stack because... They got in such massive epic wars with the VP of technology most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. And so they don't talk to each other anymore. So then the person who does the websites, like all the tech in the company is like, dude, you do the website. And the VP of marketing is so tired of dealing with the tech person that they're like, yes, I will do the website. So now you have these marketing people with an infinite number of tools. The number of marketing tools out there right now is unbelievable. The idea that we created a new marketing tool is like we just went to the ocean and threw a plastic bottle <laughs> in the ocean and was like, here, world, take our message. It's unfathomable how much pain this causes trying to get something simple done. All right. There's Matt's, uh, Matt's minute. Probably more than a minute. Matt's, Matt's irritable minute. I think we're going to call it the MIM. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Matt, the best thing about Matt is the energy that he brings toward dysfunction. Like if you've ever, if you ever work with Matt, if you ever work with us at 500 Rockets, 
that energy is just this kind of fireball that comes up when something isn't working the way it should and as cleanly as it should. And it's great, I mean, because it's scorched earth. Like, let's fix this because it's killing me. And uh, I like that energy, you know, when it comes to uh, business yeah. work. We, we have about a 50-50 relationship with that energy uh, <laughs> connecting with our core co- oh, audience. You, know, you have an attack dog, you got to keep it on a leash. Yeah. You know, you got to direct that energy. And it's a, and like I said, it's a good energy. Like there's, it, there's just too much. The problem with the market right now is that it's not ideal. Uh, like, you have to get comfortable with being in pain in marketing. And if people, and people verbally will get out of the pain... They'll say, oh, well, I'll do this or I'll do that or I'll get out of it. And the problem with marketing is you actually have to grit. You have to sit in the pain and figure out why that JavaScript code is not working on that one button right now relative to your macro tech stack. Because if you can't figure that out, then nothing works. Your reporting doesn't work. Your value delivery doesn't work. Reporting to the CEO doesn't work. And so I I have a very short trigger for not for getting out of the pain when you haven't actually solved the problem. Yeah, and that makes sense. So let's let's take this as a bridge into our topic today, which is we have created a new marketing tool to exist within the other. Wait, wait hold nine. on. The, the phone is ringing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> it's people telling us that they don't care. The other nine million marketing <laughs> tools out there. But what I like about this tool, and this is what I was saying at the very beginning of it when we started talking about it is so much of this that you do as a marketing company is trying to take some of the grind and some of what you call the ass whooping out of the process. Like anything that can actually do that, that can remove some of the sheer toil and frustration and sort of micro work of this is a, it's a valuable tool. And so just run through us a little bit, Matt, like uh, explain what spider ads is as a concept. Yeah. As a concept, it basically allows you to put, um, anybody who's built Google Ads will understand this, uh, but it allows you to take 10 small snippet value prop statements in a list, right? So you just take them in a list, you copy them into the tool, you push a magic button, and it turns them into Google Ads. So that's the basic That's the promise. tool. That's the only reason I built the tool is because... I needed to write, like I do, like there's a guy who swings a hammer once and that, that the weight of that hammer has a certain weight. And then there's the guy who swings the hammer a thousand times a day and his hammer is probably different, right? And I do it a thousand times a day. And what I find is that these little molehills that you have to climb end up stopping everything. Yeah, the amount of energy you end up doing on the micro tasks like that kills you on the macro yeah so i actually plan on building another 19 tools over the next 24 months and the only tools that we will build are ones that have like a disproportionate amount of time gain in a production environment yeah they remove the grind they remove the grind that's the only thing that they're going to do and so if you use spider ads and there's a free version so we're putting it out there for free because in its simplest form all it does is do something better than every other tool out there. I've never seen, for some reason, from a coding point of view, coding spider ads is not complicated. Like anybody with JavaScript should be able to do that in a very short amount of time. So the free version of that you can use now and download. I mean, you know, it's a web app. You log in and, and you can use the tool and then it will actually download a, a form so for you. Let me go back a little bit because, yeah. I, you know, people from different backgrounds listen to this podcast. So explain, like, start with the simple parts of this Google ad. Yeah. Like a Google ad, you had to teach me a lot of this because I come from, you know, an academic background and persuasion and rhetoric. Uh, turning that into a a business-oriented practice has been a learning curve for me. So Google Ads, you know, like you told me, they have 30 characters in the title. It's a double title yeah, and then and a body description of 90 characters. That's right. So run through that just a little bit. Like why, why are those little tiny ads so important in marketing for a company? Yeah, so there's a couple things you have to think about in marketing right now. And um, there's a, I, I use categorizations, right? So I use things that I can control and things I can't control. And so the Google ad is incredibly important because it's, incre- it's, it's expensive is one of the first problems. And 
It's expensive to run Google Ads. It's expensive to get clicks, but it's actually your first opportunity to put your message in front of the customer where you control 100% of it. So how so? What do you mean by that? Well, you get to write the ad copy, right? So when you talk about a funnel, if you looked at a funnel, the first step in the funnel is the ad copy. And if the user does not click on the ad, they do not get into your funnel. So it's, it's the most important part of the funnel because 100% of the people in your funnel will have clicked on that ad. Right. So they've, got a, they've, they've shown a pre-interest in what you're, you're yeah. offering. And do you know how many companies actually take the time to really grind out and write all the Google ads? No. I yeah, heard. like maybe 6%. Most of the time, because of process and because of the micro problem that it creates, because now you're creating maybe 100 Google ads or whatever, is that the pay-per-click guy will say, hey, yeah, I need to write Google ads. I'm just going to shove the keyword in there, and I'm going to talk about your brand and your business. And that's okay. That's, that works. I mean, you'll get clicks that way. Uh, you'll get a lot of fraud clicks, but you'll get a lot of clicks, right? And people will come to your website. But the problem is, is that that doesn't really instill your value. Your brand name is not your value. Right. Right? And the reason why putting the keyword in the ad copy, because it's a very limited amount of space, is because that works with the algorithm that Google applies to it. And because that person is searching for the keyword, you have now connected your ad to user intent. Right. And that works. That's a really good strategy. But that's not like the best strategy. That's just the lazy man strategy. And that's what like 94% of the world does, not because of actual laziness. That's not even correct. They do it because of complexity. It's like unexpected complexity all over the place. Because right. not a single person budgeted six hours today to go write their Google ads. Exactly. And yeah. so you farm it off. And who's writing it? Your pay-per-click company. You know how bad of an idea that is? Like, that's a horrible idea. Why? What the hell does a pay-per-click company know about your business? What do they know? Would you put the guy who's making pay-per-click ads in front of the sales guy? Would you say, hey, sales guy, let the pay-per-click guy take your customer interactions, and then when he's done talking to him, pass him over to you? Yeah, so he'd be perfectly pre-warmed and ready for a sales guy at that point. Yeah, right? at that point, right. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen. So... Um, and it, you know, and that's what's happening a lot right now. So that energy is one of the reasons why we created a tool to make it better so that you can put your controlled copy that's approved in the boardroom into your actual execution of these things. What we've seen time and time again is that marketing teams come up with unbelievable strategies. The strategies are fantastic. But when you truly get gritty and audit the strategy to tactics, failure. Yeah, Massive that transition amount. of taking, that's why I said, like, to me, ideation down into product, down into the details, is, it's always an interesting concept. There's a philosopher named Kenneth Burke who talks about this as the, the bureaucratization of the imagination. So you imagine all these great things, and they're awesome ideas that human beings constantly come up with. But then when it gets forced down into a bureaucracy to actually bring it into the world, it dies. Right. Always. Right. Yeah, so the, the idea behind this is that you, you build a campaign. I don't know how you want to attack this, this kind of problem. I don't want to sell it so hard. But I, I can tell you that it's really just taking uh, a grind process, something that really did take many hours before. And when you use this tool, you can create... I mean, you know, we say thousands. You don't really need to create more than 10, but you can put your value props in one box, your descriptions in another box. You push a button, and the ads are created into an upload file for you. Yeah, there's the, there's the real promise of technology and automation, right? It takes things that were either super grind or nearly impossible at one point and makes them instant. Right. That's what the computer does. Like, yeah. we'd never gotten to the moon without computers. Yeah, and the theory behind that is that you'd have more time for customization, which won't happen because marketers are the most busy with all these stupid tools. But this, but things like this, like if it, to me, if it's a clear tool, it's a simple tool, 
that does remove grind, it does start to free up time and energy for other things. If you had a simple tool for every step in this process, I mean, that's the Nirvana process, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, okay, I have this idea for how to sell my product. And I just put the idea in there and the machinery takes it into all its formats and then distributes it out in the world instantly. And you say, oh, that worked or that didn't work. And then you can go from there. But the, the reality of human work is still micro grind. Right. You know, there's no way around that. But when you come up with tools that start to remove some of that, that's that to me like is the uh, that's the execution of the offer of what technology says it can do. Right. So, yeah. Let's take uh, a quick break. Um, we will be right back with uh, another segment on spider ads. Okay. Welcome back to The Mix with Matt and Dan. The marketing mix is what we're after here. And we also try to mix in entertainment and, you know, just kind of us-ness so that if you enjoy, like, two guys who sit in the tech shed and work on marketing all day... Right. <laughs> and this right. is the podcast for you. Like the tech shed, right? That's it's Shed Zeppelin. It's yeah. the Zoom room. The Zoom room. That's what I got called today by a client. Right? Yeah. Tell us what the Zoom room is. Yeah. Well, we have multiple cameras set up. So we're really building like the world's best conference room, right? Like we're trying to modernize it. It has, you know, I mean, it's got a lot of tech huh. in here. I don't have time to name all the tech things it has, but we have little things. Like we have a, an 8x4 whiteboard, which is great. But that's not good enough, right? Because you can go with a digital whiteboard, but they're really expensive and they're kind of cumbersome and the user interface is really kind of crappy. So what we did is we went low tech with the whiteboard, but we went high tech with a giant USB button, which we've mounted on the table. And that goes to a camera, which then takes a picture of the whiteboard and uploads it to the cloud for us. Yeah, it's yeah. It's so now you can ideate and feel really kind of cool without having to take out your phone and then take a picture, then email it around. That's not acceptable around here. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna talk about this in a future episode, but I called it business feng shui today because it really is like you can look out the window. The doors are windows, and there's windows all over the place, and I can see green all the time. Then I can look to my left, and I can see these beautiful 4K. You know, what are they, 55 inches? 72, buddy. 72 inches. Screens with these gorgeous vistas on them. And then to the left, there's this intellectual whiteboard, which is laying out these big processes. So, And then there's the Keurig in the corner. Right. So we've underneath, got everything. Underneath the server rack with just crazy amount of tech in there. Yeah. You know? So it's it's like this nice organicness, but it's it's clearly made for business. But it's, it's just uh, there's something about the feng shui of it that really works. So maybe that's going to be our next product is we're going to come in and create a business function. Yeah, you need consulting. I can show yeah. you how to put a thousand feet of cat six in the walls. It's <laughs> amazing. Okay, so let's get back to spider ads. This is our first product that we are bringing to market. Uh, we're sort of still in the process of that. It's been born for what, two, three weeks? Yeah, it's in the process. It's, uh, it's, not, necess- it's not officially live, but we're in alpha with some customers. Okay, so Matt, you, you have a big history in creating products and business. So take us through that a little bit and how that led us up to Spider Ads as the first product from 500 Rockets. Yeah, the, the first thing um, about products that I think is important is that there's two types of ways to develop a product, right? One is a disruption, right? You can come in maybe even from the outside. Uh, Uber is a good example of a good disruption technology. Uh, those guys were not taxi drivers, right? But <laughs> no, they were tech. Not. And tech has a really big history of that. I think grocery stores are next. I think we talked a lot about Amazon Go. I have in the past talking about Amazon Go and how that's going to be, I think, the foundational operating system for the retail revamping that's going to happen over the next 10 years. But, um, you know, when you build a product, there's a couple methods. And what I have seen is that most people who want to do a startup, there's about 95% of them will build the startup from the outside. They're coming in and they're saying, I don't like the output of this market and I have this idea or this thing that I want and I'm going to go to this market and then I'm going to build from this idea to the market, right? So it's kind of this 
you know, ask backwards method of kind of getting your product out there. And I would actually say that that methodology is actually one where you can lose a lot of money. Um, most of the time, markets are actually optimized, right? Unless you get into a very bureaucratic one, like a taxi company, where they have massive amount of, like, chips and all these old things. You know, there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of laws around it because of safety and driver safety and all of this kind of regulation. Um, those things typically slow down a market um, when you're looking from a product point of view. So to be really disruptive, if you can go in there and then like just get into lawsuits and not care about it, then you can kind of be disruptive on an older tech. But taking an optimized market already, like an optimized kind of thing, and then coming in from the outside with an enhancement, what you end up doing is you end up, mo like a flaw in that is that you're building a feature to a product. Right. Right? And so you don't really want to go start a new company with a feature. Right? And it's like maybe you came up with a new toaster. Right? Or you came up with a new chair. And you're like, hey, I got a new chair. Uh, I want to go do it. I want to build this chair for this specific situation, which is a real conversation I had with somebody. And I was like, great. But really what you're doing is starting a chair company. And they're like, oh, <laughs> right? I thought right. I was starting this other thing, you know, because they had this innovation or this add-on to it. And making the really gut-wrenching understanding, you know, forcing yourself to really understand whether you have a product or whether you have a feature to a product is a really important part of entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's a really strong. And I know, like, when I've come into companies and, you know, they come to me to try to figure out the macro decisions, but how should we try to sell this? How should we try to persuade people uh, to, to buy our product. And I'm like, well, what is your product? And whenever I ask them that, they really can't answer that question. Right. They give me, they give me features, they give me generics, they give me around it, but I'm like, it's actually a collection of very distinct things. And really each one of those things is a sub product within your product. And you have to really understand your product before you try to sell it. Yeah. And, and that's an ass whooping. That's very, it's very rare that people really know how to do and that. Spider ads can actually be used for this. So the ir ironic part about this is it can actually be used for product development. It can be used for kind of this validation of the market. Because if you can't get your value into a 30 character ad, you probably don't have value in today's ecosystem. Right. And you one know? of the cool things about spider ads is that in order for it to work, it needs, I was thinking about it earlier, everybody talks about tip of spear marketing. What you really need is a million darts. You know, each one of those having its own little tip of spear. And then if you, if you it's kind of the 500 Rockets model in general. Like if you can send out massive tests, find the signal from the test itself, then you know what spears to actually build. That's right. You know, and if you don't, then you're just guessing. But right. Spider Ads is a really cool, fast, cheap tool that gives you signal, right? It's a yeah. signal chaser. Yeah, and you know, just for the record, a marketer's job is about 6% guessing, right? Like, real marketers don't guess. Right. You know, we they, use data. they won't make a decision without data. Yeah, you make a decision based on the data. And there is a little bit of guessing because you don't always know, but it's like narrowed down to a very small lily pad from one lily pad to the other so that the failure point doesn't blow up your whole rocket. Right. right. Well, yeah. the, and when you look at this, like decision-making and marketing has been one of the areas I'm interested in now intellectually doing some actual research on it because it is the thing that, that destroys marketing. Like if you look at the sub-activities, uh, the sub-intellectual areas that will destroy your marketing, all the, de the constant decisions you have to make from the macro level all the way down to the micro level and all these dials that you're constantly turning, that's what's killing marketing because you have people making those decisions not from you know, macro themes, but just in the moment, like just trying to get something done. Yeah. So it's constantly going awry in so many different ways because you're not controlling the decision chain. Right. And that's one of the cool things, like I said, that I was interested in right away about spider ads is that it gives you a, a macro set of data, a field of data so that Politically, people can't argue against, oh, look, this one performed at 7%, and this one performed at 0.004%. Yeah, no, There's it, no argument it against It's very that. early in the funnel, which will then dictate all of the work for the marketing department, right? So then the campaigns are based on data. The campaign tip of spear, you know, the entire 38-point marketing campaign is based on data that gave you a positive signal at the first step of the funnel. 
Right. And but people me, don't get fired when yeah, they're, let me when they're looking out a, from data. They get finish, fired because they guess wrong. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, in marketing, you get fired for a lot of reasons. Yes. Right? Well, it is yeah. a fire, firing rich environment. You can actually tell the, star, the health of a startup. <laughs> you know how you can tell? How? If somebody says, yeah, I got a startup, if they're funded and they actually have money and they're doing it, ask them how many marketing people they fired. Yeah. Yeah. If the they more fired, the yeah. If they fired three marketing people, then they're that's like a massive signal that it's probably either a product problem <laughs> or a CEO problem. And then after the third marketing person, he's going to fire the salesperson. That's right. like that's like a a repeatable pattern in sociolo- in society. It's also also should be do do something of that in the future about firing, like the the reality of firing and marketing. You know what it means and what it doesn't mean, and right. you, you need a plan for, an expectation plan for how that's going to happen. Yeah, you do. Um, so to, to finish the point, I, w- I want to make sure that this segment is finished with yep. like, there's two ways to really build a product, right? One is to try and disrupt the market, and you better have a good idea, and you better get funding, and you probably better do it a certain way because the people in the market not so hip on that happening, right? The second way to do it is the expert way, which is you do something every single day. And you know how to do it better because you are dialed in to listening to the market. And if you really think about what that means, all that really is is working in the flow of capitalism, right, and optimizing the market and being that source of optimization. And so if you can be that source of optimization, you're constantly at the bleeding edge. You're constantly kind of at the front. And that's where I'm most comfortable. That's the style of strategy that I like, which is that expert level. I know what I'm talking about. Whether anybody buys spider ads or not, I have already made thousands of dollars on it because it has already made my process significantly more efficient. So now when I deliver that kind of A and B testing or that research model, or I go in and I, and I have some sort of pay-per-click deliverable, I know that I am already potentially 10, 15, 20 hours more efficient than my competitor so I can take more aggressive deals, I can take more aggressive deliverables because I understand what I'm doing and how I kind of get there. So everything is kind of playbooked out and it's a step-by-step. And Spider Ads is a part of that. If Spider Ads breaks, all of a sudden I'm back to a manual process. So for me, whether it's Spider Ads or whether it's some other 15 or 20 products that we plan on building... All of those things are built from, wow, I can't figure this out, uh, how to get out of this manual grind that I'm doing, and I need it to be loose enough so that it works with my, my flow. Yeah, it's very motivating to be in grind, right? This was, like, if you look down through the history of grind removal, this is all the way back to, like, farmers, you know, having, their, having to pull their own plows, and they're like, you know what? This ain't good. <laughs> this is let's get a donkey. Let's get that big old animal over there. I bet you he can pull this plow. Then he dies. Right. But then you gotta figure out like how do we attach the plow to the animal? And tigers are terrible at this. Like they're big, but they don't really like the plow. The yeah, hardest. and that actually brings up a great metaphor that we say a lot around here, or especially in entrepreneurism, when I'm coaching other entrepreneurs, it really is an important kind of concept, is that you don't want to build buggy whips. Right. Right. You you don't want to have such focus on your product making like, you know, adding, you know what a buggy whip is, right? Like you're like got a horse and carriage and you're using the whip in your hand to whip the horse. That was quite a big product back in the day before cars. Right. Right. But if you're sitting there bedazzling your buggy whip, thinking that people are going to really love the style and the look and the feel of it. And then all of a sudden you look up and, the new, and, the, and a car is driving by. The market for buggy whips is either about to collapse or already has collapsed. And your future revenues and profitability have collapsed with it. Right. And so as you're developing these products, you know, there's all of these kind of like different factors that you have to go. And so if you can make a product that is profitable for you, then you have now solved your own problem and you've made the product profitable, right? right. And so if you're lucky, and I think um, we're doing a podcast with my dad, right? And so I'll just give a little plug to that. We're doing an interview with my father. My father was a fantastic 
a product manager, he was CEO of a company, he invented the automated light, he was like the sound man for Led Zeppelin, he did all of these yeah, really... Yeah, it's awesome. You yeah, no, the background of it he's, is like... He's so awesome to But we're to. going to talk about this problem, we're talking about the buggy whip problem, he invented probably 25 to 35 products and brought them to market, many of those are still being used worldwide today, and so his process of kind of going through it and what... His opinion, we've documented, and it's very much in line with how we're building uh, spider ads and how we're building these other things. Is dude, sometimes you got to get in the shed and you got to figure out what makes it faster for you. And one out of twenty of those times, you might find something else. Right. Right. Like if all we end up with is a stupid little JavaScript app that takes a list of terms and puts them into Google Ads, and that makes my life better great. I've already gotten the value out of it, right? I didn't have to raise money. I didn't have to do right. all of these other things. I didn't have to bring on all these people with this dream that it was going to solve the world's problems. I can tell you some benefits on the next segment after we take a break of some of the values that this has already yielded, but it wasn't because we were pursuing those values. It was because we were pursuing the values of getting rid of the grind and doing the work ourselves. Right, and I think that's a good, we'll come back and talk about this, but I think that idea right there, that just getting in it and doing the birth process on these things and staying with it and doing all the actual micro work, is, that is the business. That, that is the entrepreneurial thing. Like the big idea is what everybody thinks about. That's kind of the flash that you hear about. Oh, they had a big idea. But these were the guys who were able to sit there in the grind, you know, all the way down to Steve Jobs and all these guys. You know, sit there and figure out the problems to make that thing work. And I think that's what I, again, I like about working in 500 Rockets. I think I've learned that a lot from Matt. I've done that a lot in my own areas, but never in business. And it's fascinating to watch it. We'll talk about that when we come back on The Mix. Welcome back to The Mix with Matt and Dan. We're going to mix in some comedy because I love comedy. Uh, I've spent 35 years of my life working in comedy. Here's what I was thinking. Like uh, I noticed our, our graphic designer, Shane, was in here last week. And he came in kind of dragging. And he looked at the Keurig in the corner with the most loving eyes that I, I think I've ever seen. Like I don't think you can look at a human being with that much love. And probably people are doing that all over the country, right? All over, man. Shane was hungover. <laughs> like the coffee, coffee is such an intense part of business. Like there's no denying, like American productivity would go down what? Oh. 90% without coffee? Oh, but like more so than that, I think the fights that would happen. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe that's the cure for meetings, right? Is like if I can't sit here and get high. It's not happening. Right. Like, it's, it's the light high. It's the uh, acceptable high. But, you know, like the Nazis ran on meth, right? Amphetamines. Is that true? Yeah. Like, there's a book. I can't remember the name of it right now. But it basically details just how much the entire Nazi party used uh, drugs to fuel everything they were doing, all the way from down to, like, the Blitzkriegs, where tank drivers would stay up for three straight days. That's one of the reasons why they were so effective in war, is that they would never take a rest, Mm. And so they would literally just overrun a country because the country wasn't ready. And it was drugs. So, you know, Germans almost took over the world because of drugs. Uh, and we're taking over the world through capitalism because of coffee. I got it. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm part of the movement. Something that we took off the mountains in Ethiopia and got back here into our, you know, daily workforce, which, again, is one of the amazing, you know, fascinating things about capitalism is that Anything that has a demand, it will go out and get it. Like, we literally go to the bottom of the Bering Sea to get crab, Alaskan king crab. Like, what must the crabs have thought about that the first time they saw a human, you know, down there? And like, wait a minute. What are you do? How hungry are you people? Are you going to leave <laughs> nobody alone on the entire planet? It's the beautiful thing about human demand, and, you know, capitalism will deliver that demand every time. Which takes us back to the grind, right? The grind. Speaking of coffee, um, the grind itself will 
yield so much innovation as people try to figure out something to get them out of that pain. And spider ads is one of the things that has, you know, it's a ladder out of some of that pain. I think so. I think. I, think, I mean, that, it, is for, it is for us, yeah. right? And ironically, you have to stay in that pain, you know, as long as you possibly can in order to kind of get out of it. But more so, I think one of the things we promised was really to talk about what are some of the, the jewels that come out of staying in that pain? And when you solve one problem, what benefits do you get in the others? And so here's a couple, right? We, we really designed spider ads for one reason, and that was to build ads faster, right? So right. if you were going to go to market with your slogan, you know, and you're going to say, hey, well, what is spider ads? It's build ads faster. But now that we've used spider ads, that's actually not the value. Right. Right. Like is, say, yeah. You don't even talk about it. You don't even talk about the fact that you can build your ads faster. Nobody cares. Right. There are right? two. Yeah. This is what I noticed very quickly about this product is that there's actually two strong products here. Right. Like it has two offers. And trying to figure out which one we're actually advertising has been part of the issue. Yeah. So the first one is definitely ad builder, right? Yeah. Lightning fast ad builder. Take the grind away. All That's that. right. And our monetization model is set up on that, right? So we will give you the tool for free. You get 100% of the tool for free. You can use the tool. You can build your ads. You can export your ads to a CSV, and it's free. If you want to pay for it, what you get when you pay for it is a button that uploads it to Google for you. Right, so even so less of the grind. Less of the grind. I'm selling less version. of the grind for money. Right. Right? And I think that because based on the premise of what it is, that that's the value. And when you use it over and over and over again, like I don't care if you use it once, that's fine. You use it for free and then move on with your life. But if you use it every day like we use it, and we don't even use it every day. We use it like once, twice a week for the customers that we have, but we're moving that direction. Even a full-time pay-per-click person may use this tool like six, eight times a month, right? Depending per account. Right. But the amount of hours that translates into? Oh, yeah. No, that's like, that, that was like manually? 40% of their job. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you're using it way less. So that's clearly one of the offers, Lightning Fast Ad Builder. And then the second part of the offer is Beacon Finder, right? Yeah. So the, the thing that came out of it, right, is like we were like really trying to start to educate ourselves on how we could use this more effectively. Sometimes on here, by the way, I'm starting to feel like Larry King, like when he does his uh, product, you know, his product infomercials now <laughs> where he's sitting there interviewing somebody. I think I should have some suspenders. Yeah, you, you know, should. And I you, should be 9,000 years gotta old. got to get you the big round glasses. That's really not th what this is, by the way. We're still working out the voice of it. But this really isn't about just promoting 500 Rockets or spider ads or whatever. It's not an No, the reality is I'm a crappy interviewer. <laughs> like, that's the truth, right? So, like, I can sit here. And uh, this is actually a, a part where I was going to ask you a bunch of questions because it really does get into persuasion, right? right. So but beacon finding. That's beacon the second finding. part of the offer. Yeah, I think that's a good point where let me ask you a question about beacon finding because when we got into this, we started building ads really quickly, and then we started getting into the next level of the problem, which is how do you persuade people to buy stuff, right? All right, you can get the ads to them. What do you actually need to say that's going to, to move them to do what you want? Yeah, and we started talking about different methods of persuasion, and funny enough, you actually have a PhD in that. Yeah, that's right. my thing. Yeah, so do you recall like how we got so focused on kind of the value of the A-B testing and the value of testing and finding your beacon? Yeah, because we kept running into clients, the, the thing that I'm learning, translating all of my background in rhetoric into business useful concepts and practices, is that clients don't really know what sells their product. They have a lot of ideas, and they've had a lot of experience with it, but it's a lot of guessing, and guessing is the death of persuasion. Like, persuasion works when you understand exactly who your target is and exactly what messages they need to hear in order to convert. Like, it's, it's really a study in, you know, the buyer themselves. So, like, you know, like, if you have a kid, uh, you have three different, say you have three kids, you know every one of those is going to react differently to something you say because you've had years of direct experience with them. You can adjust your message in a very sophisticated way to affect those kids differently. I have a daughter and I have a son. I cannot say the things that I say to my son to my daughter. She will fold up like a, you know, a, a piece of origami in a fire. She's too, she's too gentle for the kind of messaging I do with my son. And, but I know this, and, and so I've developed two different strategies for talking to them. 
And so when you have that kind of information about your buyer, you can adjust your messaging in a very sophisticated way. What's frustrating in business is people don't really have that information about their buyer. So they're just sending out tons of messages guessing. And what, what I learned from the automation process is if you can make that really cheap, you can do that as long as you can find the signal. But what they tend to do is just send them out over and over again without ever really finding the true signal. Yeah, you know what's expensive about that? all, all of that, though, is the process. Right. If you don't have the process, if your team doesn't have the process, if you don't know how to take those ideations from the boardroom and put them into the machine and then spit out something that actually gets to market right. in a way that was aligned with your strategy, you know, you're really not going to get anywhere. Yeah, it skitzes out in so many different ways. And coming in as a marketing company and trying to figure out this stuff from the outside is even harder because you end up talking to 5, 10, 15 different people in there and they all have different ideas and they're all giving you different information and you really don't know who to believe. Like, are you doing this, building this so that the CEO is happy with it? Or are you building this because the marketing person really knows what they're talking about and you want them to be happy with it? Right. And does the marketing person know what they're talking about? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, the politics of figuring out message building for a company are intense and they're very complicated. But at the end of the day, what I like about spider ads, and this is why I've been behind the process of it you know, 100% at this point, is that it takes the guessing out. Like, you have to lay out value props, but even those aren't limited. You can do 50. Yeah. And then send them out in cheap tests and get direct feedback very quickly that gives you the signal. So let me explain an unexpected finding of spider ads when you really look at A-B testing. And I'm going to go out on the line, and I'm going to say that A-B testing is complete BS. And I'll tell you that because... There's a massive market, like there's a whole section of these tools that we were talking about earlier that are just around A-B testing. The problem with A-B testing is that there is ne'er a marketing department in the world right now that has the time to go through it. So it adds this, like, you know, unless you have these really... Time factor. Yeah, the time factor. So say you solve that and you're like, well, I created two banner ads and I'm special because I did that and, and my marketing department does it all the time. That's probably true, but if we really, really look at persuasion modeling and persuasion therapy, you know, putting therapies out there on these tests, what you find almost 99% of the time is that people are not running these statistical significance. Right. So they've taken the time to do this whole thing, but they, they don't spend the time actually taking it to a scientific certainty. Yeah, statistical and it, illusions. Yeah, do you know what this, that's called? That's what? called guessing. Yes, <laughs> right? exactly if right. it's not statistically significant, it is now officially a guess. That's one. That's the second of the problems. The third problem is that people are actually doing multi-persuasion modeling instead of single, right? Which right. we talk a lot about in our consulting. I'm not going to get in here, but that is a massive problem when you're trying to convince people of multiple things rather than one core value. Yeah, so, and, we, and we talked about this from a theoretical perspective, multi-signal persuasion versus single-signal persuasion is one of the things that when I first looked at this, like if you don't really, if you're sending out a message that has 15 offers in it and somebody converts, you have no idea which one they converted on. That's right. Yeah. So why is using Google ads a better idea for AB testing than anything you could do on your website? First of all, you're paying for it anyway, right? And so if you don't get a lead or you don't get a sale out of it, then you actually have extracted ancillary, yeah, some extra value out of it. The other part about it is that your Google ads are probably your only opportunity that you have to test something in a statistically significant way, right? Because a Google ad for, you know, we spend 800, uh, just say $1,000. You know how many impressions you can get on Google for $1,000? Like hundreds of thousands of impressions, Right? So if you're showing your ad with 100,000 impressions versus showing the banner on your website with 1,000 clicks, right. you are significantly more um, you know, statistically significant than you are with the 1,000 clicks on your website. Well, and that's the offer of Google, right? Like you've said, when they decide on their messaging adjustments, 
It's because they're working backwards from if they move the blue line just a little bit, they get you know more conversions. Yeah, they the great. Yeah, they've done testing. Yeah, of test. Of That's tests right. Coming back. Yeah, the thing we're talking about is actually the, there's a gray line between ads on the right hand side and actual organic stuff on the left, and they're changing it up a little bit. But they've actually tested to a certainty that every single shade that they make darker on that line, it affects conversion rates on ad copy on the right. So there's a lot of visual signals. That's one of the reasons why you don't want lines in your design, by the way. If you're on a landing page, you don't want lines. It makes your brain say, stop. And you do not want people to say that in their brain, ever. Uh, so you take the, the spider ads and you put them into the market, right? And you're doing it anyway. But now they're hyper-organized because you've controlled the copy. You've put them into an ad group. And you've done all of this in this little tool that does it. That was an unexpected value out of right. spider ads, right? Is that you're able to get very narrow on your testing of testing what we call persuasion archetypes. So you take that, you put it into the market, and then the second value of spider ads comes back. The reports, <laughs> right? Right. Like, you don't need spider ads to run reports on your Google ads, but I guarantee you you're not running reports on your spider, on your Google ads. And why are you not? Because it's an ass whooping. Right. Right? Because now you got to know this interface. You got an ass whooping or it's a grind. It's an ass whooping or a grind. And that's the Usually problem both. with it. And so now, unless you have a bunch of minions running around, I know marketing departments that are doing the work of 20 or 30 people. Literally. And there's like three people in the right. room. You know, they're just doing too much. And so they don't have the time. So you have to be a master tactician in order to work through all of these interfaces. And not only that, Google changes the stupid interface every six months because they hire some new young buck product manager who thinks that that's what matters. No, dude, you know what matters? is me being able to find the button. That's right. what matters. So right? every six months, somebody comes in and says, guess what? New ass whooping, new grind. New ass whooping, new the, grind. I mean, the, the best system. part is when you pull up the, this has happened countless times. You're sitting with a customer. You pull up the Google interface and it is completely different. And you were on that Google interface the day before. Right. And now you can't find the buttons that you know exist in the world because they have moved them three inches to the left or something. That's a real problem. So we don't really care about all of the analytics around the ads. Like that's not really what we care about. What we care about is testing your value proposition. The value of spider ads is that it goes into the Google data and it pulls out the data that only validates your, your value. Why does that matter, right? And I couldn't have predicted this when I was trying to build ads faster. I couldn't have said that this was going to be a thing. But why would you want to run that report, Dan? Well, I'm going to answer that as soon as we come back for our last segment. Uh, we'll be right back with The Mix with Matt and Dan. Welcome back to the final segment of The Mix with Matt and Dan. Matt just asked me a question, and I told him he's going to answer it. So here's, here's <laughs> was, Matt's answer. Yeah, so the reason why uh, you would want that in a report and why you would just want your value stack ranked is because you've gone into the boardroom and you've sat around, and maybe you're talking to product managers, sales, other people in marketing. You're talking to the CEO, the COO, and you're grabbing all of their ideas. You've had this great strategy session where you've taken the data and you've taken what we would call value props or the value of the company. You've now tactically controlled and whittled that down into ad copy, right? And that's hard, but that's a process you can do in a couple hours. We've done it successfully in a couple hours for clients. You take that, you put that into the system, it goes out for a couple weeks and it's fast. Like within a week or two, depending on your ad spend, you have all this data. Now, you take all that data in a controlled way, bring it back into a report, and now you have your value stack ranked based on user behavior in the market. Who do you think in your company <laughs> would care about that? Maybe the boss. Maybe the boss. 
Maybe the people who are coming up telling you that your messaging is stupid and you need to be saying this when you're not saying this. And how can you not say this because it's so much value? So then you can test those words in the market and say, I'm not saying this because people don't click on this, dude. And here's the report. Right. And that's a report that you can push with a couple buttons and it's done. But if you show them too much data, if you show them too many things, if you show them even five Google ads on a page, their eyes will gloss over and they won't be able to process what they're looking at because you haven't contextualized it. Right. That's an unexpected value of the product development. Well, and from my side, as a rhetorician who likes to design persuasive situations so that they work in your favor, it's a close dance is what I call it. Like when you're doing a close dance with your buyer, with your persuadee, and you know, like I know if I say these things, this person, this type of person will convert. And you get into that where you can deliver that message, they can receive it, and then, you know, act, react in the way that you want. It's a close dance. It's not this... I'm shooting this message out into the world and just hoping it finds somebody, which is a horrible idea, that kind of broad approach persuasion versus specific approach persuasion. Horrible idea. I got a, a flyer yesterday on our door when I got home with my son, and it was from a uh, conservative politician here in Austin. And he, uh, my, my kid grabbed it, and he grew up in a pretty progressive household. Uh, and he looked at it, and he goes, look at this guy. Like, I would never vote for this guy just because of the way he looks. Like, he has this crazy face and, you know, like, these horrible things on the front of this thing about guns and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it was a broad piece of persuasion, and it found the wrong person. And they don't care because it didn't cost any more. But, like, think of how much better it would have been if that guy could have actually targeted exactly the, the kind of households he was after and got the message to them in a close dance versus this just... I'm offering to dance with the whole ballroom, you know? Right, right. And so, like, Google ad, or Spider Ads allows you to sort of winnow very quickly and find your dance partners. Yeah, that are all kind of already predetermined by their own behavior. Yeah, right? they're interested they, in you. They're interested in your product. Right. They're predisposed to saying yes. I love yes, yes interactions. I can't stand no, no interactions. Uh, no, yes, or bad. Yes, no is better, but I'm looking for yes, yes. And that's when you get really good data. You can know, you know where those targets are. You know what to say to them. That's when you're getting real value for your marketing and your messaging that's going out. Yeah. So we spent all this time, eh, you know, uh, I'm not so bold as to say this wasn't a promotion of spider ads, but at the end of the day, it was really the, what we hope to offer is just an insight into real life, what it's like to build products on the fly and why we're building it. But the truth is, is that we're going to introduce it to the market to a massive amount of indifference. Right? More than likely. Yeah. yeah, because people don't care. They have too little time to take on a new tool, a new thing. And so in order to get that to the market is maybe something we can kind of highlight the success metrics that we have right now. Well, right now we're bringing it like, uh, go back to the close dance thing. We're bringing it to clients that we know that come into us, that we have a, a sales interaction with and we can explain its value. And that kind of you know, sales of this versus what you're talking about, sort of broad, send it out there and it's going to get indifference. Like you can lower indifference depending on the quality of the messaging, but it's going to be indifference, period, because American audiences have heard way too many messages about this. There's way too much persuasion coming at them. They have to be indifferent or they would be overloaded and, you know, they would explode. Yeah. And that's fine. You start with the idea we're dealing with indifferent people. Even spider ads, which we can talk about forever, and people are like, ah, it sounds like a scam to me because they're talking about it in a positive way. Other than it's free, mostly. Right. <laughs> but then right. even that, people know, like, ah, oh, they're just trying to, you know, lost lead. They're putting something out there, and then once I use it, they're going to, you know, charge me, you know, horribly for it. Yeah. But uh, American audiences have been taught that anybody that's talking positive about a product, that's a sales interaction, be indifferent or dismissive. But that's a psychological element you need to know as a marketer in order to get your message through. Yeah. And so even this, like, I, you know, I could tell, like, halfway through this, I'm like, we sound salesy. And that's not who we are. You know, even though we are like, like okay, there's this cool product that we've created. Yeah. We'd like to get it out and it has these two values. How do you do that to, you know, a, like you said, an indifferent, cynical, very experienced audience and get them to go, you know, maybe we will try this thing. Yeah. You know? Give it a shot. My favorite opening for multi-level marketing schemes is, uh, hey, listen, every business is a pyramid, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my favorite opening ever, right? Just taking away the negative. That one of the things I hope to talk about in the future and really get your expertise uh, on the record on is uh, really a lot of people in business are just they just love talk. We've actually had to roll back this truth in persuasion consulting because people can't hear negatives, right? right. Like any type of negative is deemed as a criticism. But as you've taught, like there's accelerators and decelerators and every single positive thing that you say about your business inherently brings a negative element. Yeah, it's like the persuasion thermodynamics, laws of thermodynamics, that for every positive uh, action, there's an equal and opposite negative reaction from the audience. Yeah, this is, this is wildly misunderstood in business, right? Like people are just, they're almost offended that like you right. saying a positive about your product would also bring in the negative, right? It's like inviting in Snow White and the evil witch, <laughs> you know what I mean? But psychologically, that, that is the buyer reaction, always. Right. You know, like with this, so spider ads, if we're trying to figure out what we really want is for people to go to spiderads.com, right? Is that the URL? No. Spiderads-500r.com. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It but is. you can find it, just do a search for spider ads. Nobody's going to really... Beat us on that ranking, right? No, I hope not. Not, not. Or not go to that, 500 not Rockets. Laid, not that you laid it down like that. I guess they won't. All right. Well, go to 500 Rockets, and you'll find it on the products page. What we really want, very clearly, is for people to be in, intrigued by this, to think, oh, that might be useful. Go to the page, try it on the free version, and see if it helps. And if it does, we get your mailing list. Right? So we can build up a mailing list of people who are interested in our kind of products. Maybe we build a relationship. Build a relationship. You can see that we're an honest company. We have really cool, innovative stuff. Right. And you'll be like, hey, either we want to work with them from a services perspective and see what they can do for our company, or we want to buy some of their premium products that are going along with this. And it's worth it. So that's really our entire goal here. Right. And for me, having a really clear goal like that and figure out what is the, the, uh, the uh, premium message that gets people to convert because that's all I really want. I want people to enjoy the podcast, and I like to do entertainment, and I find this stuff fascinating. But what we really want is other people to go, oh, that's a cool company, and I want to see that product. Right. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, if you use that profit, you know, profitably, then everybody is happy. Yeah, they get but de-grinded, I, and we get What money. I'm interested, though, I mean, I, what I've, I, I'm kind of a dork. I, don't, I really want new customers, and I want everybody to come and engage with us, and I want to help as many people as we as a good fit right if it's right. a good fit because marketing is a relationship thing like it's not this is not a commodity either you like the way we talk about your product or you don't yeah you don't and, want we don't want to be caught in an ugly relationship and neither do you no when right. we don't and we end as friends always right it's just you you know it's like hire or fire us just let us know we don't care right, right? uh but for me what i'm interested in is like this product we're bringing it to market and everybody deals with this right but like who's our customer we don't know Right? Like, I think the value is received by the VP of marketing and the CEO because those are the people who are responsible for that. But they don't know, they're not using spider ads. Right. They're not. They're not using it. Right? They can dictate to other people to use it, but they're not opening it once. So the generals aren't going to use this, but they would, like, it's, a, it's another weapon to give to the grunts. To That's the right. Army, and so, to the army itself. But who do you market it to? Do you market it to the generals or do you market it to the grunts? Because the grunts have value, right? Like it saves the grunts 30, 40 hours of their week, you know? Right, like and just, makes their work better. It's more focused. Yeah, it makes it's it more focused. It's not just grinding. It's also increasing the quality of the actual work. And it gives them a communication module to push back. Yeah, who do you sell this to? Who are we selling this to, man? Yeah, I don't know. The grunts or the generals? We haven't figured that out. You know, you can't do everything at once, and trying to do everything at once is, the, is a horrible strategy, which we don't do. I would say right now, like... Probably not all the way down to grunts, but the mid-level people is who we've sold this to, right? Mid-level people uh, with buy-in from their bosses. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'd say that's true. I mean, you know, the from a consulting point of view, um, the the CEOs are the ones who've said yes, but the 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 lower-level people are the ones who've seen the promise right. in in the process and have brought it to their boss. So I guess it's everybody. Like, if you don't take it to your boss, it's not going to get approval. When the value, when the message of, hey, I can test your value prop in the market and give you data around that, and that will solve how you build out your next three marketing That's campaigns. A big offer. Yeah, like, when you like make it. that to the CEO, they're like, yeah. Yeah. 
We can do that. Yeah, we can try that. And you try it for a month, and if it doesn't work, I mean, you know, this isn't going to work for 100% of the people either. There isn't a product. The iPhone does not work for 100% of the market. Right. You know what I mean? There are some people like, well, I want this little thing over here. I got to go, you know, and they get all weird about it. And then they're like, the iPhone is the most horrible thing in the world, yeah, you know? my son. My son's an Android guy. In fact, he's got some weird phone that nobody else has. Yeah, and he he's... He looks at my iPhone like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> right. And you know what I'm going to buy? I'm going to buy the iPhone. You want to know why? Because I don't want the grind, man. Exactly. I, I, I just... don't need, like, that's an ass whooping that I can't take. That's like, right. I know how to take some ass whoopings. There's some, in my areas of where I work, I'm like, I know what's coming. I know how to endure it. I know how to work through it. But in tech, you give me grief about this all the time. I'm like, I can't take that whip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot take the sting of that particular lash on my back. I got it. On that note, it's been The Mix with Matt and Matt Dan. Matt and Dan. Come back and see us again. Listen again next week. We, uh, we'll put this out every week. Typically on Fridays, we'll get our schedule going. Uh, And be sure to check out very soon Matt's interviews with his dad, uh, who was the sound and light guy for Led Zeppelin. It's one of the coolest people I've met. And it's such a great story. Uh, it's, It's a value add that we have for the podcast. So check that out soon. Fantastic. Talk soon, guys.